Welcome to another episode of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. This is our 10th episode, and uh, joining me uh, is uh, first my uh, co-host, Jim Passon Jr. Jim? Uh, Billy Wagner Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's right. Hashtag Billy Wagner Hall of Fame. Hashtag. Um, I have Mr. Casey Bogoslaw, an MLB writer. Casey, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. Sure, and, and we're welcome. We're uh, glad to have you. And of course, joining us uh, as a surprise—you know, Wait. balloons from the ceiling, everything like that. There's a special guest. There's a special guest, Bailey from oh. from Foolish Baseballs here. Friend of the show. Clear. I want to be very clear that I invited myself on the show. I would not accept an invite just after having previously done the show. I the reason I'm here is because of me. That you know be what? Very clear about that. I, I feel it's like I feel like we're we're Jim. I feel like I'm okay with that. It's the okay. rom- romantic about Bailey podcast. That's yes. right. Romantic yeah. about foolish baseball. Just be yes. glad this isn't a video cast, guys. Um, <laughs> right. So so really, you know, Bailey, you messaged me the other day and said, you know, I need the floor, and therefore, without any ado, the right. floor is yours, Bailey. Talk to me here. Well, this is very exciting. So. I'm going to ask you guys one question real quick. What do you guys know about <laughs> Hall of Fame shortstop Bobby Wallace? Just don't look him up. Just can you give me anything you know about Bobby Wallace? I'm sure his full name is Robert. That is a good guess. I cannot confirm or deny, but I would assume he's a Robert as well. Late 1800s. I got, I got nothing. Yes. I was like, see, Jim has, has done probably the most research into this era of baseball out of all of us, so... Uh, he's uh, correct. Uh, Bobby Wallace was sort of a turn-of-the-century player, and I'm going to tell you about him right now, about his Hall of Fame candidacy, how he reached the Hall of Fame, yada, yada. Let's get into it. So when I look at an older player, I like to look at the older stats, uh, you know, just very traditional counting stats, hits, batting average, because I kind of want to see how this player would have been, you know, interpreted in their time. Obviously, we have more advanced metrics now, but I, I like to look at, you know, straight up batting average and hits sometimes. So I'm just going to give you a quick rundown on Bobby Wallace. Shortstop uh, with a little bit of third base mixed in. He played 25 seasons of professional baseball. So he oh. played from 1894 to 1918, uh, which would be like an age 19 season to an age 44 season. So he played Jesus. forever. <laughs> uh, that's the first interesting thing about him. Uh, he started his career with the Cleveland Spiders of the National League. Uh, only played there a few years. Then on to the St. Louis Cardinals, also of the National League. Then to the, the cross-city rival St. Louis Browns of the American League. And then back to the Cardinals. So he was primarily known for his time in St. Louis, uh, particularly with the Browns. I think the Browns are like the team that he's like depicted with in terms of like his Hall of Fame plaque. 
Um, so even though he played 25 years, his last like five or six years, he didn't play very much. So from 1913 to 1918, uh, he only had 400 plate appearances. So he would just kind of crop back up out of semi-retirement, play a few games, kind of drop back out. Um, during this time when he was not playing, he served as either a manager or an American League umpire. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, as far as his stats go, he had a 268 lifetime batting average, uh, 2,300 hits. Uh, this was the dead ball era, so he slugged 358 because that's about what everybody slugged back then. Right. Uh, and he stole 201 bases. He was uh, he had two seasons where he stole at least 20 bases, but for a middle infielder who played so long, I was a little bit surprised he wasn't that big of a base stealer. He played 25 years, did not get close to 3,000 hits, did not was not a 300 average guy. So the question for me became, you know, how is this guy a Hall of Famer, basically? And there's a lot of head-scratcher Hall of Famers, but... I was really interested in Bobby Wallace when I came across him. Um, in terms of his time as a manager, which I wondered if that would kind of put him over the edge, uh, he went 62. He had 62 wins as a manager, and he lost 184 games. Oh. So that's a 287 winning percentage. So he's the 2019 Tigers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, he's th- he's that for about a season and a half of of managing. Um, and in fact, you know, he was kind of cursed uh, in terms of the talent surrounding him because he was on like some decent teams that went above 500 but he at 25 years he's actually the player with the longest career without appearing in a world series huh yeah i wouldn't have guessed like uh, it, of all of the things i would have never guessed bobby wallace as that guy right mostly because i don't i would not i it's a name I've scrolled past before I, I started digging into Bobby Wallace, but I, that's all I could have said is that there was a guy named Bobby Wallace who's in the Hall of Fame. That's all I could have told you about him. Right. Uh, I decided I would look at some comparisons, some maybe post-integration players who had a similar career to Wallace to try to sort of contextualize like who he was in his day. You know, uh, The first one is Dave Concepcion, who's uh, not a Hall of Famer, but he, he does have the fame part of Hall of Famer. He's a very famous player. He was part of the Big Red Machine. Right. Played for 19 years. Uh, he also had 2,300 hits, 267 average, 357 slugging, so pretty much identical there. Uh, and he stole 321 bases, so about 100 more than Bobby Wallace. Uh, but overall, pretty similar player. In terms of his Hall of Fame candidacy, 15 years on the ballot. Um, he, and then he made it 15 years. Wow. Yeah. So he lasted he, his whole eligibility, but he topped out at 16.2%. So he did not get particularly close, hmm. which is unfortunate because uh, <laughs> I think it was Dave Concepcion was an interesting player back in his day, but yeah, probably not. Pete Rose, Pete Rose talked really highly of him in his, in his books. Yes. 40 war player. Mm-hmm. Could do a lot. And worse. Don't look at Bobby Wallace, by the way. Yeah. Don't no spoilers. <laughs> um, so Gary Templeton is the other one. A player who I'd never heard of. Uh, he played from 1976 to 1991, so his career kind of overlapped with Concepcion's. He's also a shortstop. 271 average, 2,100 hits, 242 stolen bases, also won two silver sluggers. Um, so, you know, similar enough stats at just a surface level, I think. Uh, he was on the 1997 ballot, and he got two votes, and that was it for Gary Templeton. <laughs> so, um, so this became a, sort of an interesting thing for me. It's like, um, how did Bobby Wallace get into the Hall of Fame is the question. Um, so let's go back to 1953, which was the year that he was inducted. Uh, the first Hall of Fame class was 36, so we're 17 years after that. And as we're doing the voting, the, the big problem 
for Hall of Fame voting in general is that you're it, there's just a real logjam. You're you're voting on you know you're discussing about seven decades worth of baseball as opposed to now when you look at the ballot and it's mostly guys who played in the '90s and the 2000s. Right. So instead of one generation of baseball, it's several. You know. Um, so there's uh, so in terms of problems with the ballot, uh, the biggest problem is that there wasn't a, actually a ballot. <laughs> right. Um, which is to say that there's not a list of players to vote on. It was a complete free for all basically. In 1953, for the Baseball Writers uh, Association vote, uh, you could choose any player active from 1928 to 1951, uh, as long as they were retired, and uh, and that was it. So it's just a complete free for all. So you still have the 75% threshold, and you still have only 10 slots on your ballot, which is the same as today. But of those, all those riders with that free range, you have 83 different guys who received votes that year. And even crazier, of those 83 guys, 39 of them would eventually make the Hall of Fame in some form or another. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so – Wait, hold on. I, I got to process. This is a lot of information to process. Sure. I know. So so my question becomes, even then, even after all of that, mm-hmm. how does Bobby Wallace enter into the equation here? And he merges out of 39 Hall of Famers on a ballot? Jack, well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> um, but yes, that's a very interesting part of it because when you have 39 Hall of Famers, for starters, to get anyone and only 10 slots on your ballot, to get anyone over 75% is like very statistically unlikely, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they had to do some serious organization to get anyone inducted, and they did. They got Dizzy Dean and Al Simmons in from the Ryder vote, uh, who are two very deserving candidates, I would add. But yeah, if true, you also true. look at that, yeah, they're, they're clear Hall of Famers. But if you look at the ballot that year, okay, you have Joe DiMaggio, who was in his first year 44%. Wow. <laughs> 44% for Joe DiMaggio in his first year. He never did anything. Yeah. He, never, he, did, he never had a hit. He, he, had, he had one streak. He had one streak, guys. He was a fluke. Yeah, he had yeah. one 56-game stretch. Uh, Ted Williams was better during it. You know, yeah, so, right. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, come on. Overrated. Uh, yeah. Uh, Hank Greenberg, who was in, like, his fifth year, got 30%. Jeez, Lefty man. Gomez... 13% for Lefty Gomez. Uh, and then down at the very bottom, you have Archie Vaughn and Luke Appling, who got one vote and two votes apiece. What? Two other really good shortstops who are Hall of Famers now, thankfully. Yep. Yeah. Um, now, problem number two, besides there being no ballot, is now you have sort of the problem of what I would call bad Hall of Famers, Hall of Famers who were inducted and, you know, many decades ago who don't really seem to fit the standards we have now, the very lofty standards we have now, may I add. Right. Uh, one of them was Rabbit Moranville. Rabbit Moranville was, I believe, his second baseman. Um, he was on the ballot that year, and he nearly made it. 62.1% of the vote. And he did make it the next season. He did cross the threshold. Uh, some other bad Hall of Famers you can look at, and I, bad is a very relative term. These weren't bad players. But uh, High Pockets Kelly, Ray Schalk, Lloyd Wainer, Freddie Lindstrom, and what those four all have in common is that they were inducted via the Veterans Committee. And that's how Bobby Wallace got into the Hall of Fame, because 1953 was the first real year of the official Veterans Committee. Ah. Yeah. God, so the Veterans about, Committees. I know. I know. Now, they're good sometimes. They were good this year, I would say, even though they missed uh, Lou Whitaker pretty bad. Uh, uh, they did get 
Ted Simmons and Marvin Miller in, and those are two guys who definitely deserve to be Hall of Famers. Well, so sure, that's but the they're pros. still they're still responsible for Jack Morris. So I'm still oh, oh I, absolutely. I, I still have some beef with this, but but continue, sure. please. For me personally, uh, I would much rather, you know, I don't really get that riled up when I feel like someone sort of undeserving gets in. It's just when someone who doesn't deserve it. I mean, someone who does deserve it fails to get in. That is infuriating to me. So right. as far as I'm concerned, the Veterans Committee, it does have the opportunity to right wrongs, and that's that's sort of what's the good thing about it. But the cons, of course, is that you get the shenanigans. You get a word that I'm going to throw out a lot that's cronyism. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. just the general head, that leads to head scratchers basically getting into the Hall of Fame. So their job as the Veterans Committee is just to get players in, you know, because you've got this giant log jam, basically. Um so they inducted six individuals that year, which is good, but only two of them were players. Uh, the other one, besides Bobby Wallace, was a guy named Chief Bender, who was a pitcher. Yeah. Uh, Chief, yes, that's a, that's a pretty familiar name for me. Uh, a little bit about Chief Bender. He had sort of a shortened career, 3,000 innings, 2.46 ERA, uh, which is excellent, but, you know, at a very pitcher-friendly time, he had a 112 ERA+. Plus. And so sort of his more modern comparisons would be Frank Viola, Oral Hershiser, Doc Gooden. These aren't Hall of Famers, but they're really good pitchers. So right. you can't really like, oh, no, you know. Um, and the thing that pushed probably Chief Bender over instead of Bobby Wallace was that, unlike Wallace, Chief Bender played in five World Series and won three of them. So he did have postseason success. Um, so my question, you know, that became – an investigation of the cronyism. How does he get in from this 11-person committee? Um, the one thing that helped him, and that also helped Chief Bender, is that they were both still alive. I think that plays a big role. These guys hadn't played for decades. They were old men. Chief Bender was 69 at the time. He died the next year at age 70. And you know, you kind of feel bad for telling an old man who's been waiting for decades about right. this. You know, sorry, we didn't we didn't vote you in this year, pal. Sorry. Uh, Bobby Wallace was 79 years old at the time, still alive, and he died at the age of 86. So he's a really old man at the time of this vote. Um, and then so on, and then on this committee, which only had 11 people, he had two key advocates that I could identify. One of them was Branch Rickey, okay. uh, very famous character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a teammate, manager, and general manager for both the St. Louis Browns and Cardinals, all overlapping Bobby Wallace's years. Uh, and, of course, he's one of the most important people in baseball history because he would go on become general manager of the Dodgers, integration, Jackie Robinson. We all know that part of his history. Um, the next one was a fellow by the name of J.G. Taylor Spink, uh, which is a, a great name. That is a fabulous uh, name. Spink, yes. Uh, he founded the Sporting News, uh, which was based in his hometown of St. Louis. So he was like a key media guy in St. Louis. Bobby Wallace, obviously a big deal. Uh, so that's kind of your story. You got crazy politics, crazy ballot, Joe DiMaggio, 44%, uh, Bobby Wallace, not close to 3,000 hits, not, you know, a 300 hitter, didn't steal too many bases, and yet he gets in because of good old Veterans Committee cronyism. Okay. Right. Okay. Now, are you ready for well, – now, there's more. Oh, are there's more. The punchline? There's a punchline. G- give, give it to me. Bring it. Bobby Wallace – has 76.3 baseball reference wins above replacement. What the hell? <laughs> so he posted a really solid walk rate. He had a 332 on base percentage in the absolute dead ball era, a 690 career OPS, which adds up to a 105 OPS plus. So an above average hitter for his time. Uh, you know, keep in mind, he retired in 1918. 
one season before Babe Ruth broke out and completely changed baseball. So he played in the absolute dead ball year his whole career. Right. Uh, if you just look at his range factor, keeping in mind that he was a shortstop, he made 500 more plays throughout his career than the league average shortstop uh, would have, which is a lot. So he, you have a great defender at a premium position, an above average hitter, and it all kind of comes out to six, 76 wins above replacement, which is above both the average for a Hall of Fame shortstop and the average Hall of Famer in general. That's more than Jeter, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, Jeter, I believe, is at 71 or Se- 72. Yeah, something like Somewhere that. Somewhere in there. Okay, but there's something better we can look at, which is JAWS, uh, which is that metric designed specifically for Hall of Fame candidacy because it looks at the peak and the whole career. And so on the shortstop Jaws leaderboard, you have 11th is Alan Trammell, 12th is Jeter, 13th is Barry Larkin, and then 14th is Bobby Wallace. Unbelievable. So, so it's a it's such a weird story, but basically Veterans Committee cronyism like com- accidentally inducted someone completely deserving who was totally overlooked, only received just a very small fraction of the vote on his time on the writer's ballot. And he's very similar to a couple other sort of turn-of-the-century types namely Bill Dahlin and Jack Glasscock, who are also, you know, slick uh, defending shortstops, who a lot of sabermetric types they advocate for now, uh, despite them playing over 100 years ago. But, yeah, that's the story of Bobby Wallace, the, the great player who accidentally got into the Hall of Fame, deservedly. That's, they accidentally got it right. <laughs> that's amazing. That, you know, and I mean, look at it. Like, he's sitting right there. He's just above Lou Boudreau and just below Barry Larkin mm-hmm. in terms sandwiched of— sandwiched right in there unbelievable like wow okay i can officially say i learned something new today you've got the record for the most chances at shortstop in a game that's an ale record anyway i'll be dang <laughs> man man well well that i have and I, you were wrong and you were wrong about bobby wallace's first name too when you said that it's probably robert what, it's not robert what is it is, is it roberto please tell me it's roberto robert no. It's Roderick. Oh, that is that is way way to just swoop in at the end, Jim. That's that's a Hall of Fame name right there. That should get you in alone, man. Roderick Roderick Wallace. If I had a name like that, I wouldn't go by Bobby. Sounds like a Tarantino movie character. Roderick Wallace. Well, that uh, I don't have any. I I I got nothing for that. That's like a paralyzingly good story. I look forward to the time when we get to get back together in about 40 years and we're talking about how we got Le Castro into the Hall of Fame. Exactly. See, yeah, see that, that. you know what? He's the turn of the century Le Castro. That's what uh, it is. When, when we're I'm all sure, BBWAA yeah. members, we're going to get him in. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure we'll find out Le Castro had like a 156 grit plus or something like that, and that'll be what put him <laughs> over the top, you know? That's right. What's your, what's, don't you have a new stat that's out or something that you're creating? Like S4 or something? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> LeCastro, Le, Le, El War. LeCastro War. Yeah, El War, LeCastro War, yeah. It's just hit by pitches, uh, plus steals without getting caught, uh, plus uh, sack bunts. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's all it is. And if you do yeah. anything else, you you are disqualified. Yeah, exactly. Home runs are actually result in negative S4. <laughs> negative S4. Well, so, you get, so you get one vote, Bailey. Who are you putting in the Hall of Fame this year? Oh, this year, easy. Uh, just, I mean, if I can only vote for one guy, it's Larry Walker. You it's know? Larry Walker. Jeter's going to get in no matter what. But that, see, Larry Walker needs it. I super appreciate you coming by and sharing that with us. That is, that is awesome. All right. Well, thank you guys. And uh, also thanks to Casey because uh, I, 
I stole some of your time, but I'll take it. <laughs> no, I appreciate the story. That was great. I hope, I hope you learned something, Casey. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, we're gonna uh, take a we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, it'll be Casey, Jim, and myself running down the AL Central. We'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, joining us is Casey Bogoslaw, a ma- Major League Baseball writer. And uh, we're going to be uh, running down the uh, AL Central. So, um, you know, we're going to start with, with the, um, you know, Minnesota, with the division winning last year, Minnesota Twins. Um, and uh, for me, I, you know, run, looking at this team, you know, it's got to start with the, uh, the, you know, the starting pitching. I know that the defense was a liability last year, but um, Casey, you can tell me if you agree. I just I don't see a real glove first option for the Twins. Uh, you know, especially with a guy like Byron Buxton, you know, kind of on the outskirts. You know, somebody that can bring a plus glove uh, to this team. Um, did you have any like outside of that? Like you know, outside of starting pitching, did, do you see any more urgent needs on this team? Uh, I mean, obviously the you know the bats will work. I mean, I guess you know, I'll, I'll start the conversation off with a bang and and bring up the baseball immediately. Uh, obviously, I think the Twins were a team that was was really helped by the the baseball and home run surge last season. Uh, you know, they were built to just hit a bunch of bombs, and they did until the postseason when maybe there was a change with the ball and and their bats kind of died because that's that's what the team was built around is uh, just you know kind of outscoring teams and. Um, and and nothing's not much there is going to change. I think headed into 2020, they're still got all the big bats. Uh, obviously, Nelson Cruz uh, came back. Um, you know, they 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 really got that powerful lineup again. So they're going to hit a, a bunch of home runs, I guess, regardless of, of what the baseball is doing. And yeah, you know, they do kind of suffer on the defensive end, like you mentioned there. Um, and and the pitching staff's okay, but yeah, they of course still uh, they don't have a ton of good strikeout guys in the starting rotation. Um, so they're gonna they're gonna put balls in play, and you know Byron Buxton is yeah he's just kind of the uh, white whale of the Twins, you know that it, this right. guy that you know they've wanted to be you know everything for you know as long as anyone can remember the number two overall pick, and he just hasn't been able to ever really put together a full season, um, and some of that you know hope has certainly got to be dying in, in uh, Minneapolis, but you know he is still on the squad, and I, I think that he's. Of course, everyone wants him to get 600 plate play appearances next season, but uh, who, who really believes that that could possibly happen? Right. If it does, yeah, the defense, it, it can revolve around him. Obviously, the outfield defense becomes just so much better with his presence. Right. Now, I wonder, like, I ran down a few free agent scenarios, and you can tell me what you think. Like, for me, uh, and, and Jim, you can tell me what you think. Like, I, I see two potential starting pitcher centric scenarios for the twins um for me i i kind of looked at um you know like um casey was saying there's not a lot of strikeout artists on this in this uh rotation so i was seeing like a scenario a where they go out and you see like a hunjin ryu paired with like a julio Tehran. low strikeouts lots of innings on the other end of the coin you've got the sort of injury risk but high upside play in ryu um and on the other end 
Madison Bumgarner, and of course this won't necessarily play out now, but like someone like a Rick Porcello or like a Wade Miley or something like that, where you could see the sort of like front of the rotation type of guy with maybe somebody just to fill in the back end. They only had one pitcher over 200 innings last season, and Barrios only made that cut by a third of an inning. So, so Jim, like, what do you, where do you see something like that? I I see with the way the Twins are built, right? The the mashing ability that they have, but just the length of what they have for their contracts on on the players that they do have. Um, it, it appears. I mean, they've only really committed to uh, Polanco and Kepler long term, and those are really actually fairly team friendly deals, right? So. Uh, it seems to me like they've got a chance to set up to make a, a it's almost like they don't have to rebuild to rebuild right they can actually make a run over this next year or two and just try to slap something together so i can see if if they can find access to players that are willing to go to two-year and one-year deals just to try to slam together a, a team that can get back to the postseason in an al central that seems to be up for grabs for basically them and and maybe an Indians team it seems like I mean unless the White Sox can pull something together I don't really see that happening right off the bat this year but it's possible um that they could just be making moves to patch it together and and land right back in the playoffs and once you're in the playoffs anything's possible Billy Bean once said you know anything happens right yeah Um, I mean so they've gone out and got Pineda back but he's still got to finish his suspension uh so I think he's got what 40 games left that he's got to clear so you got to get through about a quarter of the season before they get Pineda uh in there so yeah I, I mean I think Rio would be a good fit but I mean I could see him just taking flyers on people like Alex Wood like I, I loved him the last time we talked I still love him now that he's the kind of guy with the plenty of upside just needs to prove prove what he can do and so a short-term deal would be perfect for a team like this i think sure you know um uh K- i agree with you jim and uh, casey i ran this through my head and you can just tell me what you think really briefly about this um you know i kind of feel like if if there's a team that could be bidding on like uh josh donaldson services I wonder if the you know the uh, you know as the market takes shape, I could see them getting outbid. Don't get me wrong, but I have this sort of like hypothetical in my head: put Josh Donaldson in third, move Miguel Sano to first. Do, do you see that as a sort of realistic possibility here? My only worry, I get, I don't know if I'm worried because I'm not the biggest Twins fan, but my only uh, reason why I would think that's possible or not possible is, you know, the twins do like to cry poor a little bit. You know, obviously they don't draw great there. Um, you know, even with the playoffs team, obviously the attendance went up last year with the success, but um, this is a, a, a small market team. So I think Donaldson is, he wants a four year deal. Uh, and I don't know if the twins are going to be willing to give up that much money over that length of time. And, and same kind of goes with, with Ryu as well. I mean, I, I think these moves make a lot of sense in Minnesota because certainly the window is open for them. I just don't know if the money would really uh, happen there just because, it, you know, it's it's pretty rare that that, that that team spends a lot of money over the last, you know, couple decades. They're not they're not a big spending team. So and I, and I definitely think at least Donaldson and obviously probably Ryu too will, will get a lot of money. They'd have to go a little bit under that. It, it makes sense on paper. I, 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 don't, I just I'd be shocked if it happened. 
Yeah, no, I, I could agree with that. I, I don't. Th- uh, I don't think anyone will sit here and argue with you that the t- the Twins are going to be the team to watch in the uh, free in the free agent market per se. So I, I could agree with all of that sentiment there. Um, so you know, I you just uh, one sentence or less. Uh, you know, I'll put this question to both of you guys, starting with Jim. Uh, is this a team that's ticketed for major regression this year? Nah, I don't think so. No. Okay. I think uh, they, the infield set up, Arias, Garver, Sano, I think they're strong enough to, to maintain. Okay. And uh, Casey? Not major. Like I mentioned, I, I'm, I'm a little worried if the ball, just because the team is so home run dependent. But I, I think the lineup is still pretty good, even if if the ball's not flying out as much. Uh, rotation's pretty much the same. Bullpen's still pretty strong. Um, and the division's pretty bad, as we'll get to. You know, there's going to be a lot of free wins against the Tigers and the Royals at the at the minimum. So, yeah, they, they, they'll still put up, you know, 90-ish wins. Yeah, I, I, I can, you know, as much as I, I kind of um, agree with you guys on, on some sense, I feel like they're I feel like they're due for enough regression to to open the window for for is one of these more high upside teams, per se, someone specifically like the, the White Sox, which we'll get to. Um, so. Uh, next up, uh, next up, uh, the Cleveland Indians, the team who finished second last year. And I'm telling you. I, I feel like I just I almost want to like scream rebuild from the mountaintops on this. You know what I mean? It's as so many teams begin their upward ascent from the slog of of tanking, call it what you will. Um, I just I don't I see so much structurally that that could be wrong with this team. Um, so. You know, basically, you've got a surplus of talent in one aspect of the roster. You know, I, I was really impressed personally with what what Adam Savali put up last season. Uh, of course, you've got the Corey Kluber. You've got, you know, what what are we going to get out of Carrasco? Um, you know, and uh, the the Beebs. So much to be excited about in one aspect of the roster. So. What happens next? Um, you know, and I'll put this to to you, uh, to you, Casey. What do you think? What What's next for the Indians? It, it seems like it's just the countdown to the end. You know, they they had the their run. They had the as close as you can get to winning a World Series in this window. And it just seemed like last year was kind of the start of the descent down to you know it, it, uh, you know irrelevance and it seems like that's just going to continue this year obviously just all of the whispers with francisco lindor with their you know front office coming out saying that there's just no chance that they would resign a guy like that it's a bummer because you know cleveland's a fun baseball town and they've put together a nice a nice team and they continue to churn out great starting pitching like you mentioned you know gluber goes down and they don't really miss a beat last year because they have guys like bieber and savali come up and just continue to impress so obviously the system is built to create awesome starting pitching, so they're they're not really dependent on a Corey Kluber bounce back or a Carlos Carrasco, um, you know, getting better from all the stuff that he's dealing with. So you know, the window can stay open again. The central is just it's there for the taking, but you know, they're they're not a team that's going to go out and spend a lot of money either. You know, I love 
trade last year at midseason to, to get rid of, you know, even getting rid of a, a high upside guy with, with Trevor Bauer. But still, I mean, it, it made a lot of sense because they made the offense a lot better. Uh, Puig's gone, uh, obviously, but, you know, with Fran Mel Reyes, at least they got a little bit of pop because that was what was missing in the lineup. So, right. you know, it's good. It's good on the, you know, uh, right now, but it, it's it's like not good enough where I have to like pencil them in to win the division. But they can go out there and make moves as well. I, I just, it doesn't seem like we've heard anything from Cleveland this whole offseason so far. Right. Well, speaking of a team that cries poor, you know, this it, it yeah. feels like to me, this is a team that's going to have to use existing assets assets to attain more uh, to uh, to improve the roster and uh, Jim I'll put this to you for one of your hometown guys I'm thinking okay this was a strong defensive team last year you've got some interesting sort of emergences in in the field you know I think um, am I looking at the right notes here Jordan Luplo am I is this the right uh, you know you're looking at a lot of interesting players so my question becomes uh, you know, Miguel Andujar, they need a basher. They, right now, Jake Bowers is listed as the starting DH for this team. That cannot be your best solution. So I put the question to you. Do they acquire offensive talent via trade, and does someone like a sort of Miguel Andujar, a defensive liability but can bash, come into play? And I mean that we really got a. I mean we got a sample size out of him, but we didn't get a sample size out of Andujar last year, right? Right. We well, all we ever got to see uh, on the Yankee side of thing was, hey, look, he's been taking more grounders, he's been working on his fielding, and then the season came around, and then the season came over. Real, it was over real quick for him, right? Um, but looking at what the size sample that they did get from him in, in 2018, that's kind of nice at the plate, right? And just defensive liability all the heck. Um, you know, it, it's somebody that, I mean, if you're, if you're trading for him, I wouldn't be, I mean, giving up too much for him or expecting a whole lot out of him either. So he seems like a, a risky play to me. So if he's coming at too high of a price, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that even Cleveland would be interested in that because I think they'd rather... I think they'd almost rather have the prospects than try to throw somebody out there that they think could be that guy. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I see them more down like, uh, I think they need, if they're going anywhere where they need a DH, but I think they also look for, for field presence at the same time. I think they need to, I think they need to dress the outfield more than they need to dress the infield. Sure. Um, so I could see them going for somebody like, Obviously, obviously, I yield Garcia or something to that effect out there. Somebody that's got the pop in the bat, um, knows the AL Central pretty well, and, and could be comfortable there. But So do you think like somebody like, uh, and, and Casey, I'll put this to you, like somebody like a low-cost uh, starter, somebody like a, a Plesak, uh, like a Zach Plesak, or somebody like maybe an Adam Savali or something, somebody with a little bit of upside, maybe not top prospect sort of pedigree. Um, should we be looking for a trade on that end? Or is somebody like, so let's say Corey Kluber comes back and starts to show some value. I mean, they owe him $17.5 million in 2020 and $18 million in 2021. Do you think they go from the top? Or do you think they go from the, you know, for a sort of high risk acquisition? Or do they go from the bottom with sort of a, you know, a lesser impact, but offensive addition? I think they'll be, they'll, they'll continue to be quiet because I think they're going to head into the season just kind of 
you know, let the chips fall as they they may, you know, and see see what the White Sox have in store for them. See if the Twins have any regression. If they're at the top of this division, come you know June first, then maybe they go out and make a better a bigger move to make one more push, you know, to, before the, the the Lindor stuff happens. But if if it gets off to a bad start, a rough start, then I think you're you're going to see Kluber go. I mean, even if they have a rough start, maybe Kluber at least shows something uh, in the early months that they can at least have some trade value to him. And then I think that once he gets to the trade deadline, then you're starting to talk about Francisco Lindor and, and just kind of restarting this whole thing. Uh, that's just kind of, I guess, what my crystal ball shows with Cleveland, just them like I said, just going with what they have and seeing what happens, you know, not being aggressive right now and then making their decision after, you know, kind of what happens in the division the first couple months. I can't can't imagine, uh, you know, like, boy, reading those numbers, like, just made me think. Um, Corey Kluber, 17.5 million and 18 million. Boy, that sounds like a bargain if he's like 80% of what he was. Casey, do you feel like Kluber has fell back as, say, uh, because of people like Lindor or Ramirez, Kluber just a few years ago was the franchise, right? I mean, that's a, he was the talk of the town. You'd never get rid of him, you know. Um, do you feel like he's he's tradable from a, a fan's perspective too? It's a good question. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think he's a lot of, lost a lot of that luster. I think that you know the Yankee series uh, in what yeah seventeen, uh, you know, really just crushed a lot of fans you know hopes and dreams he wasn't the same guy that he was in 16 uh and you know they even kind of manipulated the rotation to to to, you know have him you know be able to pitch two and five and and, you know it just didn't work out at all and then last year with the injuries yeah he's definitely not the face of the franchise the face of the franchise is lindor and it's somebody that this team should be giving a lot of money to and building around even if they are going into a rebuilding period he's just obviously he's not even a face of the franchise he's a face of baseball but yeah i, I don't want to go too deep in the weeds here it, you know it's a bummer that this team is just not able to kind of build a, a continuing uh, uh contender and, right. and it just i know i i i'm very like you know negative nancy right now with the indians but that's just kind of i i haven't liked exactly how this has all gone because i think they could have been a really good team uh you know after the world series and continued to to push for that and they really haven't well they plateaued they plateaued on their own ambition so um all right so uh next team uh it's it's your hometown boys the chicago white Sox who I swear, I swear, I was convinced. I was convinced, Casey, I was going to look like a genius when Anthony Rendon signs with the White Sox. Tell me why I was right to think it and ultimately wrong like I am so many things in my life. Well, you were right to think it because the White Sox need to spend money. The fan base is just so hungry for it. And then you're right because Manny Machado was obviously a major target heading into last year, uh, and he was going to play third base for the White Sox. And so third base seemed like it would be a target for for the big free agent. He was the best position player headed into this offseason. So it made a lot of sense. But here's why. I guess I don't know if this is the reason. I don't know if I even want it to be the reason as a White Sox fan. But this is kind of, I guess, maybe even me being conspiracy theorist-ish. So 
Yohan Moncada was, you know, pretty famously moved from second base to third base last season and then had, a, you know, a much better season in 2019 than 2018. And a lot of the reason that they said that they made the decision to move him to third base was uh, obviously it's a tougher defensive position and it keeps you in the game. They call it the hot corner for a reason. Your mind has to be on the ball the entire time because obviously you could um, end up in a really sticky situation if you're not paying attention. Right. So some of that, they have said that because he is so involved and so focused and his head is in the game on defense, he brings that to the plate and, and, and to his at-bats. Can we believe that? I don't know. Well, uh, he, he did not, post a positive defensive run saved at, at third base this year, which is more than you can say about his second base performance. Yeah, he was great. No, he feel you know I, I thought he was excellent on fielding bunts. Uh, you know he's got a strong arm. Always has a strong you know had a strong arm coming up. Uh, he was a very good third baseman. So this gets to where we're getting at with Anthony Rendon. So if the White Sox were to sign Anthony Rendon, you would say probably what would would have happened is Makata would move back to second. Would that have hurt Makata? Would that have hurt this his path that he's on? Obviously, the White Sox franchise is. You know, pretty dependent on Yohan Mangata right now. Uh, and then the, I guess the other option would have been, do you move Anthony Rendon? But Anthony Rendon is one of the best third basemen in all of baseball, offensively and defensively. It's like, why would you spend $350 million just to move Rendon him yeah. if you're not going to play him at third base? Because that's a portion of the value that, that you get from Anthony Rendon. So... I guess I get it because it doesn't make sense fit-wise from all of those reasons that I'm saying, but... It's kind of like then, then what's next? You know, it, it it's just it, it's kind of the perpetual kicking the can down the road. If you're on White Sox Twitter, it's everyone talking about how the White Sox are in this just this this rebuild that will never end because they can't go out and get the big guy. Missed on Machado last year. Uh, we're close with Wheeler. Obviously, I don't think we're ever really in it with Garrett Cole or Steven Strasburg. And then uh, from all reports, doesn't sound like they they were even in it. Anthony Rendon, maybe for some of the reasons I listed. So it's just kind of who's next? Is it Mookie Betts? You know, uh, you know, when he becomes a free agent next year, maybe they can even swing a trade for him this season if Boston is serious about moving him, which would be insane. But obviously, I hope the White Sox are calling and then are willing to just extend him for whatever the heck he wants. But they're so far low in payroll. Um, you know, everyone's still pre-arb on this team, all of the big guys. So they have money to spend on a big guy. Obviously, all the big money free agents are gone. So it's kind of just like, okay, what, what happens next? So I understand why White Sox fans are upset. I understand why you're upset from missing your prediction. But right. that's why I, 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 not, I never thought it was going to happen. I was going to look so smart, Casey. I was going to look. They they laughed at me. Jim laughed at me. Uh, who was it? Everyone laughed at me. I was going to be so smart, and then I wasn't, and I'm not happy about it. Rick Hahn, you're on my list. Um, I mean, I mean, is it possible that they were looking at like a Nick Madrigal to come up and play second base, so they knew that they probably weren't going to ever move Moncada back to to second, and and if that. I mean, not moving Moncada was probably. I mean, Moncada wasn't something that they were going to work around to to right. get Rendon. It just yeah. didn't seem like maybe they were ever interested because they've already got they've already got that plan already taken care of, even That's from true. the minor league ranks. Right. Some people thought Moncada could even move to the outfield. I guess he did play outfield in the minors a little bit. But even I mean, that's just a, obviously a whole 
completely different transition that he would have gone through, changing position two spring trainings in a row. Do you really want to do that on a young guy? Uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why it didn't work. And yeah, the infield is pretty much set in Chicago. You know, Anderson at short. Yeah, Madrigal will come up at second. Obviously, Abreu's at first. So infield doesn't really make a lot of sense for the White Sox to be adding right now. Uh, right. At, at least a, a long, big contract, big money guy. Well, let me ask you this. You know, does does uh, you know? There's two things that kind of jump out at me about this team. Um, first of all, the and I'll just run this by you really quickly. First off, the signing of Grandal, okay, that to me signifies at least a gesture of okay, maybe this competitive window that we've been talking about is starting to open. I think he's going to contribute in a big way um, in the middle of that lineup. Now, the other thing is too is is for me, it's Lucas Giolito. You know, this that breakout last year looks awfully sustainable when you look at his uh you know baseball savant you know, statistics so this guy is grading out at, at uh, above average or even elite in virtually every category so my question is there's an obvious need at starter starting pitcher in addition to something somebody to supplement or to lead with giolito and um with the addition of the signing of Grandal, are they a starter away from actually making a run at this? Well, I would have said they are, you know, a Zach Wheeler, a Garrett Cole, or a Steven Strasburg away now with what the market's at. I mean, I guess they can go out and get somebody from a trade market, maybe a Matthew Boyd, who we'll be talking about a little bit in Detroit. You know, there are some other options now with the what about players left. Yeah, so, yeah, that's where I was going to get to. You know, he's obviously not quite as high as the the three big guys that have already left. But, no, I, I love Bumgarner coming into Chicago because he's an innings guy. You know, the White Sox rotation is so young, and you know that they're going to have clunkers every now and then. I want a guy that's going to go out there and get 200 innings. You can kind of depend on him to go six six innings every time out. So if the, these young guys, if Ronaldo, Ronaldo Lopez has a two-inning clunker, then if he has Madison Bumgarner pitching the game after him, then it, at least that saves the bullpen, and you can kind of bounce back from that. Plus, obviously, the veteran presence, uh, World Series experience, all of that, yada, yada, yada. No, it makes a ton of sense. I, I like getting an experienced guy. I want two experienced guys. I, you know, I I talked about how much money they can they are able to spend, Bumgarner and uh, Dallas Keuchel, you know, World Series mm. champions, both of them. Uh, it, it would make a ton of sense. You know, their rotation is very right-handed heavy, so bring in some lefties. Um, you know, there, there there is some some areas to, that, that make a lot of sense that are still available out there. Are they, you know, I, that's why I'm not sure if they're one away from contending, but because I, I, I want two. Um and probably a bat too, uh, you know, that I I really can take them serious as not just winning this division that's pretty bad, but you know, being a contender in the American League. Sure. Okay. Uh, Jim, you got any thoughts on the White Sox? I mean, uh, Kopech, I believe, is uh, coming yeah. back too, right? I was thinking about uh, that. That's this season, if I'm not like mid-season, is that right? But Casey, no, no Kopech's ready. Co- He's Kopech ready. ready. Kopech, yes. Uh, all, I mean, uh, all signs say opening day, or, you know, not, well, I don't think he'll be the opening day starter, but, you know, he'll be in the opening rotation. He's already pitching. He's already up uh, over 100. Uh, he's ready to go. Wow. Okay, so, and still another right-hander, but at least... Car- you know, Carlos young, Rodon young is the guy that's going to come back uh, in late June. Okay. Yeah, he'll be late late season. Gotcha. And he's left-handed, so at least there's a little bit of something down the road for that. But, yeah, very right-handed heavy. Okay. 
Um, all right. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I'd be interested. This is the team I'm kind of watching from a distance. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested to see how this team in particular in the American League pans out. You know, I look at them as sort of running something of a parallel tanking timeline to say like you know the Braves in some ways just you know on a you know not the same years but on the same sort of timeline where you you tear it down you build up the farm system and they just have to make that move to get the free agents so I'd be interested yeah. to see how that works yeah, um, they're a very interesting team for pretty much any uh, baseball fan so you can understand why within the White Sox uh, fandom how, how come they're so such a hot topic every yeah. year right now because it seems like they're so close. Right. It's it's very touchy in, in White Sox Nation on Twitter because everyone just wants them to be good and there's just so much opportunity to, to, to be good. Right. So, all right, we got two more teams to cover here. Uh, there's not a lot to talk about, so um, just, you know, really quick. They're quite possibly two of the worst teams in baseball. So, and, but we did cover, we did talk, Jim, we did talk about the Marlins and, and we did talk about um, you know, uh, you know the um, uh, whoever else. The we, Rockies. Yeah, right? we, we, we did talk, talk about the Rockies. So the we're Pirates. just. Yeah, I'm just going to nail this down here. Look, the, the Royals are awful. Uh, if you can, I think they should just hold, hold an open casting call. If you have an arm and you can pitch, you should show up to Royals camp and just see how it goes. I feel like there's a Dennis Quaid style rookie story in in this somewhere. Um, you know, I'm in somewhat interested to see their lineup this year. You know, Jorge Soler, you know, it, it's, it, it, this seems like a legit comeback. Uh, Mondesi seems like a, a real difference maker. And uh, Hunter Dozier hit 10 triples last year. Not that anyone cares, but whatever. It's, it's Hunter Dozier. Um, anyone have like a sentence or two on the Royals? Yeah, they could be feisty that lineup. You know, especially if yeah, they don't. The Merrifield's the one guy that you haven't mentioned. It's so if they keep him, obviously he's a, a heavy trade. Pro, uh, you know, a lot of teams a trade target that the teams are looking at. Um, but yeah, that pitching is just awful. They, they could get in some maybe like six to seven game. You know, uh, with the score being uh, six to seven. But right, uh, man, that that, that pitching is bad. The starting rotation uh, needs a lot of help. Even after adding like Mike Montgomery, giving a lot of money to Danny Duffy, there's still just not a lot to like there. Yeah, there's not yeah. a lot to like. Uh, no, I, I mean you get uh, you got new management in town. Yost is gone. Yeah, uh, but I mean it's Mike Matheny. Um, really, I mean, positives on him. He's always had a winning record every year, but he's also had a pretty good team every year that he's ever been a manager also. And then, I, yeah, rumor has it he's been learning a little bit about analytics and has been a little bit more open to analytics, too. So, oh boy. but, but yeah, yeah I, I, I'll, I'll see it. I'll believe it when I see it, right? But, yeah. I mean, the Royals. I mean, the Royals, I mean, ever since they won the World Series, they've been one of the team, uh, the worst teams in baseball. Uh, Detroit, Baltimore, San Diego, and Miami are the only teams with a worse record since uh, the Royals won the World Series in 2015. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a team that's been on a nice free fall. And with the way they got things set up now with the staff and everything and the way their uh, prospects are looking, man. Uh, I don't know if they're out of their free fall yet. I don't, they might end up in Detroit slash Baltimore land from the last couple of years. That could be the new Royals. Yeah, I don't, I don't doubt it. And then uh, speaking of speaking of bad, um, the Tigers. Do we? Uh, it's all just really gross. Um, uh, we're we're short on time, and I would just say 
you know, it seems like a good place for Yasiel Puig to kind of maybe rehab his image a little bit and, and get people focused on his baseball, you know. But outside of that, I have literally nothing to add. I, Matthew, Matthew Boyd, trade him. That, that's all I got. Yeah. That's all I got. It's a really poorly ran organization. They're definitely just kind of in a total downturn after, you know, a, a pretty decently long contending window. But no, it's it's bad. There's nothing to like here. They yeah. need they need to fix everything. I put the same amount of effort in my research as the Detroit Tigers have in putting a fieldable team on 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 the, <laughs> out there. I, I have I have I have nothing on the Tigers. Jim, do you have do you have anything that we can put say in a minute or less? Do I want it? I got anything positive about the Tigers to say? I, I just uh, anything, anything. No, we're, we're dying for content here. Well, uh, the 2019 Tigers only played 161 games last year, and that stopped them from losing 115. Well, and and that's about the best thing you can say about them. So other than other than that, yeah, I I mean, they got a good fan base. They got some diehard fan bases. I see them on Twitter. They're there. They 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 want to they want to win but they just they know deep down too it just seems to be a train wreck from the years where they were spending money made a couple runs at it and uh ever since the owner passed away here a couple years ago and uh they've had to change and then verlander was gone and it's just been yeah it's it's the worst thing that's ever happened probably to the tigers organization from from at least my my days of being able to see them yeah I got, I got, yeah. I may even cut the, I may even cut the tiger section. It, it's, it, it's a laughable, it's a laughable effort, and therefore I'm putting a laughable effort into res, in, into putting them in this show. Um, Edit. At least the Marlins got VR. That's all I got to say. All right, so uh, that of uh, that about does it for our rundown here of the AL Central. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back. We're going to do a like it, love it, or hate it section for the uh, for some winter meetings talk. So we'll be right back. And we're back. Uh, just, uh, you know, and we are, of course, joined by uh, Casey Bogoslaw, uh, MLB writer, for our uh, final segment here. We're going to talk really quickly about some winter meetings, uh, you know, sort of uh, buzz, contracts, rumors, the whole nine yards. Everybody here is on Twitter. Everybody here uh, reads articles. So uh, we're just going to take this one from the gut and see how it goes. Um, I want to do a quick uh, like it, love it hate it on uh, a few signings here and uh casey i'm going to go to you first and we're going to start with the 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 uh, soup du jour here uh garrett cole like it love it hate it love it yeah the yankees needed a guy at the top of the rotation that's kind of maybe been the reason that they haven't won the world series the last couple of years the only reason and uh yeah, they'll probably regret it, you know, eight years from now. But that that doesn't matter for twenty twenty. They're they're obviously one of the favorites to win win it all. Right, Jim. I'm sure you're just doing backflips <laughs> over there. Uh, yeah, love it. Good grief. But yeah, I had to go to sleep early that night. I woke up early the next morning, and it was a pretty nice morning. I mean, I was tired, but uh, when I when I saw that news, 
Didn't even need coffee. Ready to rock and roll. Nine exactly. years, 324 is quite a long time and quite a bit of money. But when you look at, I mean, the revenue the Yankees are bringing in, $324 million and going over on, on the caps doesn't mean anything to those guys. So as a fan, perfect. I'm glad to see that they're spending some of the money that I'm, I'm spending on their gear. Yeah, it's uh, it, 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 here I was looking forward to two decades without a Yankees World Series. Uh, yeah. All right, Steven Strasburg. For, oh, yeah, by the way, the Cole deal, I, I love it. It's impossible not to. Uh, Steven Strasburg, seven years, 245. Deferrals with interest, of course, as per Nationals SOP. I feel I am, uh, I, I'd say if the like it, love it, hate it, I'm probably somewhere between like it and hate it, uh, given the guy, given his injury history. Um, uh, Casey, how are you feeling about Strasburg? Like it, love it, hate it. I'm right with you. You know, a little bit too. You know, he's obviously two years, more than two years older than Garrett Cole, so that that contract just gets that much scarier. The injury history. Uh, he had one really good year and a very good postseason. I don't know if that's worth seven years. I I I, I would tend to say that it doesn't. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm pretty negative on this one. And uh, Jim, what do you think? Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I wouldn't go as far as love it, but I definitely like it more than I don't like it. That's for sure. Um, I, I mean, yeah, you get a little bit, uh, worried about, you know, how he'll hold up and then what kind of an inning load you're going to get out of him. But man, when he's on the mound, I mean, it's the chances of you winning are just that much better versus anybody else. He is, he might not be your ace, but you know, he's definitely one of the best number twos in the league. And I think in today's age, with the amount of money that's being made in baseball, paying number two, seven and 245, I think that's square. I think that's where teams should be at. If they're going to say, hey, I want to win, and I want to be the first team that wins back-to-back championships since, uh, what, the Yankees, 99-2000? So, I mean, the Nationals have that. They got that opportunity, I think, bringing back Strasburg and matching them up with Scherzer and Corbin. It just shows that they're ready to throw out a, a staff in the in the postseason that, that that's dangerous. And sure. I think that they've got a team that can get there. So as long as they can get there and they can do this, yeah, All right. seven years in 245, perfect. All right, so a matching deal for Anthony Rendon. I love it. Talk to me, Talk to me, Casey. Love it. Let's get Trout to the postseason. Yeah, Rendon's going to help him do that. Uh, you, you know, he was the best position player. They had a, a very big hole at their pace even before getting rid of Cozart. Um, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. He deserves the money. I mean, that, that guy does it all. He's uh, a two-way player, does it on both sides. Uh, just it, what's not to love here. Right. Uh, Jim? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I look forward to seeing him move pool holes down the lineup somewhere. I don't know. Hopefully how about, the, hopefully how about the to bench. the uh, yeah? Hopefully to the bench. All uh, right. Um, Robert, yeah, definitely give me give me Rendon and Trout and then back to back in the lineup. Please. Love it, love it. Um, all right. So some less crazy deals. Um, uh, Yasmani Grandal, uh, White Sox, four years, seventy three million dollars. It it might seem like an overpay, but I am I am very high on this contract this might ultimately be one of the better values of this season i am convinced uh you know casey obviously a little biased but i would love to hear your input 
Yeah, I love it. They got out early, beat the markets. Uh, you know, it wasn't a, a need heading into the offseason. They, they seemed okay at the catcher position, but why not just kind of strengthen a strength? And, you know, with the 26-man roster, it makes sense to have, you know, it could make sense to have three catchers on the roster. I think they're going to do that starting opening day with James McCann and Zach Collins, at least for one year, with, with Collins on his last year of arbitration. So, um, absolutely love it. Yeah, uh, you know, he a switch hitter. The White Sox needed a lefty uh, bat, um, it, a guy that could hit right-handed pitching, so he can certainly do that. And he makes your pitching staff better. Uh, I mentioned the White Sox section, a lot of young arms, and they need a, a veteran catcher that's going to just help them and make them better, and that's what Grandal does. So he fits uh, all the buildings, even though those buildings weren't exactly uh, projected for the White Sox this offseason. Uh, it just it, it made a bunch of sense as soon as it came out. Right, I agree. Jim? Yeah, getting a lot of upside at a position where upside is so hard to find. Uh, it's, it's very nice, and, and like Casey was saying, expanded rosters, McCann backing him up, possibly somebody else. Keep those legs fresh throughout the season. He can DH. Uh, in the meantime, it, it almost feels like a Gary Sanchez thing to me where, you know, even if it's a day off, you're going to probably want him in the lineup. He's that type of guy that, that he means that much to the team. So great offensive production from a position that you just can't find it. So I love it. Yeah. Yeah. All just right. Been- um, Aditi Gregorius, one year to the Phillies for $14 million. I, th- I, I, As much as I hate the Phillies, uh, this is a bargain. The, and and I, this is just a bargain to me. Um, if, he, if he plays anything like 2018, Casey, what do you think? Yeah, he loses the short porch, which is where he made a lot of his money, but I, I still think the bat uh, will, will play anywhere, uh, and, and the Phillies had – you know, uh, they needed more offense, uh, and it made a lot of sense. Yeah, one-year deal. They say there's no, there's no bad thing, you know, such a bad thing as a, as a one-year contract. So, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I love it. Yeah, Jim. Nah, he can hit lefties and righties. Uh, I mean, he's a dead pull hitter. Uh, yeah, losing that short porch and and right in Yankee Stadium kind of hurts a little bit. I think the price is roughly where it needs to be, but uh, you know what? I hate it. I, I, wow! Dd not being in, Dd not being in pinstripes drives me crazy. Oh, okay. That, this well, is in this is a, yeah. This is a so Homer I, thing. <laughs> but, yeah, if if I take away the Homer portion of it, yeah, fourteen million for a, a show me what you got year. I think it's great for both the Phillies who are looking to to go now, and for Dd who's looking to get a nice longer contract uh, the following season. All right. So real quick, guys. Um, one, I want to hear. One rumor you are incredibly intrigued about, and then I want to hear what the next team to make a big move is. I'll start. Uh, I'm going to say that I am super intrigued. Well, first of all, I think the um, I'm super intrigued by the Madison Bumgarner market. I ultimately feel like while the Dodgers, the Dodgers are not in a place of need. Um, it, per uh, some rumors I've been hearing, and then of uh, Kevin McAlpin, who joined us a couple weeks ago, I think Madison Bumgarner ultimately ends up with the Braves. Um, and, but I ultimately, I do think that the next big move comes in the form of a trade, and it's Jock Peterson leaving the Dodgers in order to get some relief help. Um, Casey, what do you what do you think? I was also going to go mad bum to the Dodgers just because the drama would be so cool, but I will go elsewhere since you took that one. I'm really <laughs> intrigued where Josh Donaldson goes because uh, you know he took the one-year deal last year, 
bet on himself and it paid off he had a great season i think he is due one more big deal for a, a very good underrated career uh, i'm really intrigued to see where he goes because i think he is just yeah he's a low-key difference maker that's still out there this offseason after those big three names have been signed in a wonderfully exciting winter meetings now <laughs> i would say the team that i would have wanted him to go to would was going to be texas because you know texas we're very loud heading into this offseason and, you know, heading into a new stadium. They want a face of the franchise. I thought Donaldson made a lot of sense. There was the news that came out this uh, this morning that they were out on Donaldson. Maybe they're just playing coy. But I would love that still to happen because, uh, you know, th- that offense would be a lot of fun with Joey Gallo. Um, and to have Josh Donaldson hitting probably, you know, right in front of him, uh, getting hit, getting some protection, he could put together another, you know, MVP type season, I think that he still has that in him, uh, especially with that type of protection projection in uh, you know, a Texas ballpark that obviously is very hitter friendly. Well, I mean, we don't know how the, I guess the uh, dimensions will work out, but you know, playing in Texas is, is always going to help a bat. So uh, I, I like to see, I, I'm very excited to see where Josh Donaldson lands. Okay. Jim, what, what's on your radar? I like, uh, I, I'd like to see what happened to Yasiel Puig. Uh, I think he's such a fun player, and uh, I think he could be impactful and uh, given and put into the right situation. So rumors of him possibly going in and slotting in in Atlanta interest me all the heck. Because I, I want a live a fun, stream of that dugout at all times. That's a times. fun team. Right? I want, I want him, Acuna, and Ozzy Albies. I want them all three on a live stream at all times. Just yeah, it'd be great for baseball. I think it's just a, the right environment to make uh, make it successful for him, and uh, I mean that's great for baseball. So I'm intrigued by that rumor. Uh, uh, but for somebody that I'm interested on in seeing where they end up, uh, I guess I mean a little bit of interest in what happens with Marcelo Zuna. But I mean, for me, I, I guess if I go right back to my homerism, I want to know that Brett Gardner is coming back to my team. He is. I think, I think he uh, just signed a deal. Did he make it? I yes. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one minute. year. It was one year, twelve million, I think. And he with, came uh, back with, with an option for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, good. Well, I'll just I'm gonna leave that one right where I wanted it then, and uh, and say I got I got what I wanted out of that. So yeah. Do you, uh, do, you, do, you, do you want me to edit this so it looks like that you knew that the whole time? <laughs> no. No. No editing this. You just made me happy. Man. There you Brett go. Gardner's coming back. I mean, it's it's nice because he's such a. I mean, I mean, overly productive? No, I mean, but right price, right guy in the right dugout kind of guy. I mean, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time staring at numbers and preaching about numbers and everything else. But uh, there's character guys that I love too, and everything else. And uh, and Brett Gardner's a, a family favorite here. Uh, my wife only has one jersey, and it's a number eleven jersey. And uh, it would break her heart the day that she has to. To, to part with that. So, no way, man. Um, I, he, he really is a dugout guy. I, I am I, I buy that 100%. I, I think he's I, – it's hard to, to see him playing in other than Yankee pinstripes. Yeah. Okay. I think he would have pretty much turned anything else down, I believe. It just feels like that to me. But, eh, I don't know. I'm a homer. Yeah, I feel you. All right. Well, hey, um, you know, that is uh, – that, that puts a nice little bow on our episode this week. Um, I can't uh, I can't thank you enough, Casey, for joining us today. Uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, to talk uh, AL Central uh, with you. And uh, you know, you're uh, you're welcome back anytime. 
Hey, thanks so much for having me, Adam and Jim. Uh, you know, I, I had a blast here. And yeah, the American League Central, you know, yeah, it's got got its bottom feeders for sure. But maybe that race would be a three-team race. That'll be a lot of fun all, all season. I'm hoping. It's yeah, always we'll good for baseball. Be. Yeah, we'll definitely come back and looking for you during the season to to help us understand the Central some more during the middle of the season, I'm sure. Awesome. I'll be there. All right, and awesome. uh, hey, where, where can people find you on Twitter? Twitter is just at Casey Boguslaw, you know, easy enough, right? Super easy. You can find me at Adam C. Mack. Jim? And I'm somewhere uh, uh, on Twitter, too. It's uh, my last name first and my first name last, at Aston Jim. You can also follow us at our blog, Twitter, at RMNTCBaseball or at RomanticAboutBaseball.com. Thank you very much, Casey. Thanks also to Bailey from Foolish Baseball for uh, joining us earlier. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Thanks. Thanks.